Hello and welcome to the Turned On Podcast. I'm Angelique Nori and my husband David and I have made it our mission to break the darkness by flipping the switch on the four most important areas of your life in health, relationships, business, and in faith. And sometimes the light in the world and in your life can go dim, either from the intrusion of technology or simply because society is so driven by instant gratification. It's our mission to help people see that we're hardwired for connection and that the best things in life come when we turn on the light to see with new eyes the opportunity that exists just a flip away. So if you're ready to stir your spirit, open your eyes, and profit in all areas of your life, then let's get turned on. Here we go. All right, hello and welcome back. This is the Turned On Podcast. And, you know, in life, especially now, one of the things that I've been really, I guess we would say jamming on or really trying to think about, talk about, um, have conversations over is identity and adversity. Identity, who we are, and then adversity, how we adapt to things. And that being said, I got a special guest here today. Um, her name is Jennifer Watson. Uh, she is the founder and owner of Jennifer Watson Leadership, which is, gosh, guys, she is an expert in, in leadership, identity, and mental edge enhancement. Okay. She, she learns how to get leaders into their zone of genius. So who's ready to get into their zone of genius? I know, I know that's where I am. And I got to love her because she is from the great state of Wisconsin. She is a UW, right? Is that what they do call it UW there? Yeah. I, don't, I know that's Washington, but we, we like the Wisconsin Madison people. She's a former track athlete, all American. Um, and she has a ton of stuff that we could get to a whole nother episode in when it comes to the physical part of the body and how you can really improve that. But today, the reason I have her on here is because we are going to focus on exactly that. Adversity, my friends, is how we grow. What does God have planned for us? And, and how can we take those plans, work through the adversity, and overcome in order to really be who we were meant to be? So without any further ado, Jennifer Watson, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, David. It's an honor to be on and to serve people. And we got to give them some good stuff because adversity is alive and well. <laughs> I mean, look, you're right. It's alive and well, and it finds you, right? We don't have to go looking for it. We know a lot of people look for it. There's plenty of places. If you want it, it's there. But right. what we want to do is we want to tackle it head on. Yeah. You know, I always think you said something a few minutes ago before we started recording. You said that adversity is how we grow. And for most of my 20s and 30s, I was looking back now as kind of a mess, you know, not a mess compared to what I thought I was. But compared to now, I didn't have a lot of things going on. But that was God, what I call pruning me. He was pruning me. He was shaping me like a like a like clay and taking away some of the parts. And I made a lot of mistakes. But looking back, those are where I grew. Those are where I'm teaching from. So. What do you what do you got for me, Jennifer? Where do we start with this conversation? You know, the first thing we need to do, because people are so afraid of screwing it up. <laughs> 
we're so afraid of that, David. And, and that's why you have to start with adversity training, because if you don't get over that fear, you're freeze frame, you can't go anywhere. So the first thing I always talk to you about is really perspective perception shift. And often I use with a lot of my clients, David, are physical examples because they're tangible. Okay. So first and foremost, I say, you guys, everything is physics in this life. Think about a tennis ball. If you drop a tennis ball on the ground, it jumps up a little bit right? If you slam that mother down hard, what happens to the tennis ball? It goes a lot higher. It jumps higher. Think about everything in your life where you've hit quote rock bottom hard. All of us have examples. Like you said, David, I learned a lot in college too. When I look at everything I learned and how I then grew to the next level of where I was supposed to be, what I was supposed to do success wise, how I created impact. It was crazy. So right now, you guys, if you can just look back at your stories of hitting rock bottom, it's actually physics that you will jump to the next level that you're supposed to be. And when you do that, I notice we can really take people out of fight or flight and get them to go, okay, wait a minute. That's right. Humans don't grow unless we're being pushed in the fire, unless uh -huh. we're refining by the fire. And once we do that, we're already getting our brain. Actually, I'm a neuroscience geek. We're already getting our brain out of the fight or flight freeze into a calm state of being. So we can actually come up with problem solving, not focusing so much on the problem. So your first step is really perspective shift for sure. Okay. So the fight or flight thing really resonates with me because I feel like um, we don't really want to fight. We have a, a tendency, especially nowadays, I think of avoidance. <laughs> and in the turned on book, I called it the path of least resistance, the cruise control button. So when problems arise, we want the path of least resistance. How do I avoid any type of pain? How do I avoid any type of discomfort and just remain happy? That's not really the best path though, is it? No, no. And this is this, I love it, David, because this is where you have to go next. A lot of times when people are in an adversity situation, you know, it doesn't matter what it is, you guys, it's about money, it's about loss, it's about miscommunication with the spouse. It does not matter. Like I'm feeling it, Jennifer. The thing that's at the core of all that, David, I see all the time is pride. It actually has nothing to do with the adversity at hand. They just don't want to look stupid, incompetent, you know, just mindless about something failing in front of others. We as human beings care so much about that because we feel that is going to disconnect us from people. They're going to think less of us. So they're going to shame us and they're going to walk away from us. Okay. So I would still be what we really have to get to. Do you really actually care about the adversity at hand or you just care more about the people may or may not think a certain thing. And I guarantee you nine times out of 10, they're like, well, I'm kind of more afraid that I'm going to be shamed for failing. or I'm going to be shamed for right. making a bad decision, yada, yada, yada. So this is my first step. I tell people to get out of the ego, get out of the ego. So you can actually deal with adversity at hand. What if you lost everything? Worst case scenario, Jennifer, I just lost a job. This adversity, I'm like, okay, great. What if you, what if you lose that job? What does your life look like? What if you lose your house? What does that look like? What if you lose your wife? What does that look like? What are you without this, without material things? And yeah. Guess what? You're still you. When you get to that, you're like, oh my gosh, 
I'm still smart. I'm still kind. I'm still passionate. I did this actually purposely, David. I wasn't even in university. I got rid of my house. I moved across the country. I got rid of my practice. I sold that. I got rid. I got rid. And I put myself in adversity. I'm like, OMG, what did I just do? And then God sent me Jen Pride. Everybody's looking at you like, why did you sell all this? You, you know, I was thinking pride-wise what people were thinking of me. And then once I let go of that and I said, well, what am I without all that? Without all this? oh my gosh, I'm this and I'm this and I'm this and I can write down my gifts, my passions, my purpose. And I became so grounded in that no matter what came my way and everything I gave up, it just got easier because I was now anchored in my soul purpose in who I was without all the bells and whistles. Because by the way, David, all the adversity that we've seen this last year, all it's doing is triggering things we might lose that are physical, if you really think about that, that's what's triggering everybody. But oh, really, yeah. bottom end of the day, it's really about what are they losing in themselves. That's what it's about, well, right? Here's the thing, and I can speak to this really because it's 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 really on my plate right now. Is all of our possessions right now are in storage. Our whole house is in storage, and we don't know if we're going to find a house next week, or we don't know if we're going to find a house that's going to be built in a year from now. So I'm a things person. Like I have my rock and roll memorabilia, my guitars and my guns and all those things. <laughs> And they're in storage. And part of me sits awake at night going, oh, my gosh, are they going to be okay? And then the other little, you know, part of my head goes, David, are you, you're being really, really superficial. Those are things. Are you healthy? Yes. Is your family with you? Yes. Do you have a wife who loves you? Yes. Do you have a savior? Yes. Okay. Stop worrying about what's in storage. If a tornado comes and takes away what's in storage, you're still okay. Right. And then the other part I want to speak to, Jennifer, is this quote that I was reading yesterday that says, show me a person who hasn't failed and I'll show you a person that hasn't accomplished anything in their life. Amen. Show me a person who hasn't had failure and I'll show you a person who hasn't accomplished anything because this is where we learn the most. As we get older and nobody likes it, right? You turn 21 and that's the last big one. Hey, yeah, I'm 21, right? After that, it's all kind of eek, another year. But the good thing about getting older is we learn from experience, we grow from our mistakes, and we should not make those same mistakes over and over again. But let's go back to pride. Mm -hmm. Let's go back to pride and, and, and work. What do you bring with you to the table every day that nobody can strip away? What are the things that you bring, the knowledge, the compassion, the empathy, the, the tools? of your trade that nobody can take away from you. Because I met a guy yesterday that we're going to be working with soon. And he says, look, he goes, I've been a millionaire. I've lost it all. And we hear that story over and over again from people who are successful. It's always, I've been there and I've lost it. And he said, I could lose it again. And I'm okay with that because I know what I'm worth and I know I can get it back again because my identity, which I love that you say, my identity is not tied into things. My identity is tied into what I can provide for people. I love that you just said that because when people, I literally work with multimillionaires too, David, and they want their go-getters like, give me the tools to start going against adversity. I'm like, get rid of your pride. And they're like, what are you talking about? What you just said, I'm like, what if you lost everything? Let's worst case scenario. Did you really lose everything? You don't. And when people actually, the light bulb goes on, David, you're like, no, if I lose a million dollars, I lose my home, I lose this. 
honestly, I have this, this, and this. It, it is so empowering. I literally see this light bulb go on and literally the pride diminishes. And they're like, that is just extra bells and whistles. The things in my garage, the money is just bells and whistles and icing on the cake. And if I lose it, great. If I don't, great. It doesn't even matter. And think about the freedom you have with that. Think about that. So when adversity comes, you're about to lose money. Adversity comes, you're about to lose your house. And you have that knowledge. Well, I'll, I'll figure it out. I'll make it happen again. Think how right away you're in a better state of being to start coming up with problem solving because you're not freaking out. You know, like, oh my gosh, what's happening? And by the way, last year, another perspective shift. You know, what you just said, I have a roof over my head. I have a wife that loves me. I have a, I have a savior that loves me. Most people in this country don't have a lot of adversity compared to other countries. We do have basic water. We do have basic food. We do have shelter. And the people that lost jobs, they went to go live with family members. We started shifting. Like there, we still had this core primal things that we're taking care of, David. So that's another perspective shift. Once you get rid of the pride, I actually not only have these amazing gifts, but actually have it still really pretty good. Did I have to move in with mom for a bit? Save a little money. Lost a lot of money. That's okay. Didn't take away my my core, my beauty. Yes. What's the thing? You said moving in with mom. So look, we've thought about that. We thought we, we gave it all up. What happens? Worst case scenario, we said, what if I had to move in with mom? So going back to pride, where do we where do we go with that in our heads? The first thing is, oh my God, what are people on social media going to think if I'm living with my mom? I'm an adult. Because the other part is, hey, you know what? I love my mom. She's a good person. She'll cook for me. We can we can get to know each other better, and that's a good thing. But pride shows you, well, what will the world think? Whereas love, God shows you what can you do better. I just spoke to a man, and we had a great conversation, and he's coming on the podcast soon. And we talked about the good things that have come from COVID. He's like, there's so many amazing things that have come out of this real tragic pandemic that people aren't seeing family things. And so when we lived in Nashville and there was that huge tornado that came through last year, we started to think when there's a tornado, you think first two things, a, my life, I want to be safe. What's the second thing, Jen? What's the second thing you think of? <gasps> My stuff. Yes, of course. My yeah. stuff. So when, when there was another tornado warning shortly after the big one, Angelique's like, hey, there's a tornado coming. First thing I did, I have, <laughs> I have two hard drives with my family movies and my family pictures. And I took those hard drives with me. Everything else, jewelry, no, don't care. Art, yeah, I care, but it, I didn't think about that. You know, right. possessions, I didn't think about that. I love sneakers. I didn't think about my sneakers. Those are trivial earthly things. And even the movies though, even the movies, although I love holding on to those memories and, and you know, all those things that I've done with my family, even the movies, if I lost them, it still is not as important as that first thing, which is your health and your salvation. And ask ourselves this, why do we care so much about our health? Why are we so fearful of death? The big thing. Mm-hmm. If we all were more faithful and we had a relationship with Jesus, all of a sudden, even death wouldn't be that huge cause of anxiety. What's causing anxiety right now, Jen? COVID. Why are people really fighting in grocery stores about masks? Why are we having all this debate? Because people are scared to die. Mm-hmm. And although we all are scared of the unknown, those people that have a relationship, all of a sudden the anxiety over mass, the anxiety over a pandemic, the anxiety over I'm getting older, I could die. 
that anxiety is alleviated by the relationship with your maker. A hundred percent. There's a lot of places we can go with that. It is so a hundred percent true. But going back to that first point too, and I love where you're going with this, David, but think about it. When you are fighting adversity, you're actually fighting your pride Mm -hmm. on superficial things that you think you need to have to be you. When you get rid of that and you put yourself, I love your example. I encourage everybody right now, put yourself in the worst case scenario. You're about to potentially die in a tornado. What do you want? You want your life, you want your health, and you want a few things that are usually having to do with family connection, pictures, yep. videos, CDs, right? Put yourself in that perspective. And when you do that, all of a sudden adversity starts calming down its effect on you. You don't care about the materialistic, the outside world, what people think. You actually care about who you are and you're giving to the world. But the second point that you just made is a very valid point. Where I go to with people in adversity, we go right into your identity. Because once you get rid of the pride, you're like this is, I don't give about that BS. I'm, I'm realizing that's where my anxiety is about the adversity. Once you get rid of that and you're saying, okay, I don't really care what people think. I, I understand that I have a lot here to offer. The second point that you just made about, oh my gosh, I have a connection with God that no matter if my wellness is taken away, no matter if my house, there's something I'm doing always co-creating with this guy that's in charge of my life, the master. That is part of your identity. You have to pull that in right away with adversity. And people are really uncomfortable with that conversation. David, you have got to be willing to navigate the depth of that relationship. And if you don't know how, it's okay. So there's people like us to help you figure that out, that relationship. The only reason why I can do what I do is I get that he's in charge, that all of it's for good, that he's anchoring in me the truth until I'm six feet under. Even if my wellness is taken away, even if my house is taken away, he still and I are co-creating with my awesome gifts to freaking serve the world. And if I'm bedridden, he's still going to use me. If I've lost a house, he's still going to use me until he finally takes me. You know, and, and if people are not willing and they haven't been quite this year, the ones that have been struggling, struggling with adversity, struggling with their identity. If you're not willing to navigate the depth of the relationship with the creator, okay, what does that mean to you? Maybe you don't even know. You're not going to get anywhere fast in life and you're certainly not going to get anywhere fast transcending through adversity. That's what I'd say about that. So, you know, we talked, the pride thing is there. And then this is, this is going kind of like this love because here's what I'm thinking, a lot of the adversity that I see is relationship adversity, divorce. Um, it, it is death in a relationship, either a spiritual death in a, in a marriage or, or a physical death. Mm-hmm. And then there is the adversity of, of somebody not being ready for something. What we have is like a, 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 a baby being born out of wedlock. That's adversity. Yeah. Um, we would have, hey, you know what? There's other things that lead to adversity, um, addiction. In a, in a relationship, adversity. This all comes down to love. Mm-hmm. We're, we're talking about love from up above, from your heavenly father, but then the, the love that extends into the marriage. And sometimes I was having a conversation with somebody the other day and, you, and I just had this epiphany because this person is, is now in a relationship where there is a child coming into the relationship before the marriage and, and as a Christian, you know, that's not the way we're taught, but as a Christian, we are also taught to, you know, let's, the first thing is let's keep the child. That's my priority. And that's going to happen. Here's the other part though. I had this epiphany. I said, how many relationships start off in the perfect courtship? 
and the honeymoon phase is perfect and the marriage is perfect and it goes sour and ends up wrong. So we don't want to see that happen. So who's to say if a relationship starts off the wrong way, that it can't go the right way. Lord knows Angelique saved me in a relationship because I'd had so many bad ones, excuse me, so many bad ones. And our relationship at first, it started off great, but it hit a really sour patch. I, I, I journaled that six months after the marriage, I said, what am I doing here? I feel like a gigantic failure. Maybe this wasn't right for me. So the relationship adversity came in. One thing that was always constant from the beginning was Angelique saying, when we find adversity, let's remember, it's not just you and I, it's you and I and Jesus in this relationship together. And and that's how we handle that. So I I dumped a lot on you there. We're talking about relationship adversity from single people who are struggling to find that love, divorced people who are are carrying around baggage and pain and scars from a, a bad divorce. And then we're talking about people who just like, Oh, like things aren't the way I plan them to be. How can I rectify this and take this adversity and make it a blessing? That is such a great point because you're absolutely right. Besides losing, I'll just say physical things, physical health, a house, a job last year, people were literally having to let go of who they were and let go of other people or feel like they had to create boundaries around them, healthy boundaries, whether it be a, like an intimate relationship a family relationship, friends, they felt they needed to let go. They were mourning a loss of them. And this always goes back to because relationships are the core. I love this, Dave, that you went through relationships, relationship adversity. It's such a great power source because I'm all about leveraging. I'm a practitioner. I want to find the source and leverage. It affects your money, affects your career, affects everything. So if you can figure out this relationship adversity, you win on all these other adversities we're actually talking about. When it comes to relationship adversity, I'm always going to pull back in to your identity, okay? Because if you are pulling in I'll just say toxic people. And I'm going to start there first with friends. Okay. And this last year, a lot of people were realizing they weren't aligned with what they believed there was their truth, the truth for themselves, the truth with, with God, the truth of the world. They had to either create boundaries or let them go. And you have to be okay with that. And by dialing in your identity, you create a little bit more anchor around that. Then you can start having deeper, more depth conversations with these friends friendships. Okay. Again, sometimes you have to let them go totally, but when you're anchored in your identity, you can kind of start working with this boundary of what this looks like with this person. When you're in an intimate relationship, when you're in family where you're like, we're in this, we're we're in it to win it. You know, we're in this for the good run. This is when you have to realize too, as you're going through adversity, you're refining by fire, more layers of you are coming up. And you made that anchor promise because now you, you chose that person when you were in this identity space of like, we are in this together. That doesn't mean that you're not going to have all these layers come up as we got triggered last year. And it's easy for us to go, oh my gosh, that means it's the wrong thing. Like, is it six months and it's the wrong thing? No, it doesn't necessarily mean that. It just means that as you're going through this adversity, all these layers are coming off and it's going to challenge that relationship maybe for you to look at it differently. Maybe look at maybe certain behaviors that weren't really beneficial in your relationship anyway, right? So I think with relationship adversity, really first and foremost, have to again delayer what your identity truly is. And there are some people, David, that you're going to have to say no to and let go. 
or create heavy, healthy boundaries around them. When their family or you're in it to win it with, with the intimate relationship, you do have to be willing to be negotiable, flexible, and see that someone is, is co-creating with you. They're also learning more about themselves and they're questioning things because they're delaying their own yeah. trauma, delaying their own issues. And you guys are trying to work this together. So staying really rooted in that identity of self is going to help you communicate better with your significant other. Yeah. And I really truly believe that. And I, and I think that's a life skill that we learn with age and again, with experience, you know, and this is more for, I would say the younger people out there who are looking for that person. Um, I always ask myself, or maybe you're in a relationship where you think it's not working out. Yeah. I always ask myself and tell uh, the people I work with is what, what can, what am I working with here? What are the qualities I'm working with? Because I have to humble myself and, and admit my failures. When I first met Angelique, you know, I was really into going out to clubs and hip hop music and dancing. And we literally had an argument in a fight about, is this going to work out? Because although she liked hip hop, she just wasn't the type that go out to clubs a lot. So imagine this, guys. We literally have a fight, an argument. And Angelique, being a lot more mature than me, spiritually and emotionally, um, she goes, are we really fighting about whether or not I like to go out and dance to hip hop music? Like, is this that important to you? And at the time, uh, look, women are always emotionally mature a lot faster than men. I'm older than Angelique by six years, but I was probably younger than her emotionally by 20. Right. <laughs> to be honest with you. Right. So, so now that I look back 10 years into our marriage, I say this to the young people. Would I rather have a wife right now that likes to go out hip hop dancing with me and going to clubs but one that I can't trust and maybe it's going out hip hop dancing and going to clubs with guys behind my back. Right. Or would I like to have a wife I could come home and trust with all my heart and soul, but maybe we just don't like the little minutia things. In other words, are we looking at things that are silly? Are we looking at things that are stupid and disqualifying people that we can have a great long lasting loving relationship with because we're thinking about things superficially Right. Like my wife, uh, I know a lot of guys and look, this is young men. Well, I want someone who's really hot. You know what, guys, you know how long hotness lasts in a marriage? It lasts about the first week or two, maybe right. the, <laughs> a year or two. OK, you want to you want a mother to your child. You want someone who, again, trust is the most important factor when you're dealing with somebody in, in a relationship and you're thinking about, hey, this isn't working out. Why? Are you guys having differences about money? Because we can overcome that. Are you having differences about, you know, little minutia things like what you like to watch on TV and this is blowing up? Or are they real things? You know, like if, if it's a faith based thing, then, yeah, maybe we got a problem. Maybe and I love that, that because that's the other depth that we go to in relationships is actually just what you said when it's especially in a in a um, intimate relationship. What I see a lot of times when it's when we're making a big deal about what you just said, like she won't do this with me and go out and party. A lot of times there is usually a why beneath the why of something from your past that you're trying to self-sabotage. So you're picking something really lame. And by the way, you guys, no judgment. Okay. Like David was saying, it's experience. It's learning to optimize your emotional intelligence. Is this really about something different? So that's partly experience-based. This is why I believe in a lot of personal development. Everybody that's listening, that's twenties, thirties. I would have loved to learn some of this stuff sooner than later. Some of my general, I'm mad at you. Does this really matter? BS was some old stories, old traumas, old beliefs. And I was using it as sabotage to the relationship first and foremost. Second, 
if it is something that's kind of a big deal to you, that is, okay, no, actually, this is a big deal. This goes to the integrity of what I believe is my true identity. And if it's with the spouse or with a, a close friend of yours, I go back to this phrase, but I say it all the time, David, you've got to be willing to navigate the depth of the, the, the question, the relationship. You are going to have conflicting hard conversations with your staff, with your team, with your wife, with your significant other, you have got to be willing to do that. And by the way, if they end up leaving, you know, like, remember, it's all about you staying in your truth and being in a loving and kind way, communicating what your needs are, your thoughts of problem solving, but not everybody's going to agree with you. I've seen that David as well, that people are literally becoming walking corpse because they're afraid of having that conversation, even with their spouse, because they don't want to blow things up and I'm just going to let it go. And it's not that I really believe in that. And then all of a sudden they're not living their spiritual truth and identity and they're, they're literally self betraying them themselves. Right. And there's nothing good that comes from that. So if it is a big conversation that needs to happen, you're like, no, this is a part of who I am. And I'm struggling with this. You've got to be willing to have the conversation, not push it away because it's going to finally blow up in your face and you become a walking corpse. But yes, if it is a nonchalant conversation, you're like, this doesn't really matter. Then it's something from your past that you're self-sabotaging. So it kind of comes with a different nuance depending on where that, that problem is. Is it a real problem? Is it not? But in any case, you've got to be willing to go there and have the conversation, right? <laughs> let's, let's, let's dig into that part then when we go from a relationship in our, in our love life or our personal life to, to our work relationships. Um, we know a lot of people are partnering these days. We know a lot of people, we have entrepreneurship. It's not like I work for this company and they tell me what to do and I work for them for 40 years. Therefore, you will have to move in and out of different companies. You will have to move in and out of different working relationships, in and out of different business partnerships. Right. And if you aren't working on that skill, hey, just like you said, I wish somebody would have taught me these things in self-development in my 20s. How many college courses did we take that we snooze through? Right. Absolutely zero application for our real world. When now we're saying, okay, like I look at Tony Robbins, uh, his, his book, uh, Unlimited Power. When I read that, that was the first one I read. And I said, where was this in my teens? I literally said this to Angelique. I go, if they handed this book, Unlimited Power, to every single 18-year-old in the country and said, your last thing, your last assignment in high school is to read this book and study it, wow. We're talking real life. We're talking overcoming adversity. We're talking relationship equity and dealing with people and not what we're doing now is hiding them. If somebody hurts you, if somebody says something bad, then you have to cancel them. No, we have to learn how to work with people of different races, genders, um, people of different uh, backgrounds that come from different places because this is a melting pot. So in that business world, we will have to have what we call like relationship equity. We will have to be able to partner with people where it's, it's not my way or the highway. Right. I always said that, Jen. I said, you know, all you people that love those memes where this is who I am, take it or leave it. And you know what? Guess what? People are going to leave it. Right. If, you know, I believe in values. I right. believe in values and I am who I am. And like Scarface says, this is my, you know what? And I don't change them for anything. That's okay. But that doesn't mean you could be a jerk. Right. And that doesn't mean that you're going to be impossible to work with, because when that happens, guess what? You go from you really go from job to job to job. And then right. you end up with nothing because you're one of those people like, hey, psst, this person is all drama. Do yeah. yourself a favor. Don't team up with them. It's going to be a headache. And then next thing you know, you're you're alone. So talk about that. I, lo I love that. You know, 
I'm a big believer when I go into teams, you know, and I, I speak to the CEO and entrepreneur and they're working with so many different people. The first thing we talk about is relationship capital. You know, where are you at with your team right now? And are you really connected to them? And he's like, what do you mean? Am I really connected? I'm like, can you talk about anything? And I'm not just saying the things that are going well, the things you're really struggling with. And I'm also including not just the internal struggles and frustrations you're having in the business, maybe at the time, but all the other shizzy that's going on out here that people are bringing in that is causing influence on how they work with people. And when you have that connection, as a leader and just be willing to again, navigate in a business meeting, what is going on? What are your needs? I'm trying to figure it out too. I'm trying to reinvent the wheel every day. I'm starting over every day too, because by the way, leaders, that's what we do every day. We're reinventing every day. We're, re, we, we're tweaking, we're refined. To me, it's restarting. It's almost like kind of like Groundhog's Day, but in a good way. You've got to be willing as a leader to have those conversations again and again and get to the deeper root of things because people are afraid at first. They're tapping around like, how much can I ask? How much can I communicate? If you have a deep connection with them, David, and say, listen, we're in this together. This is my thoughts. What is your guys' thoughts? Let's have this conversation. I'm not sure if I'm going to agree, but let's just see what you have to bring to the table. It doesn't mean you have people spend for hours a diatribe, David, where we get this emotionality, you know, going, you do have to have structure to some of this. You got to be willing to connect with your team, whatever struggle comes and you have to deliver first say, this is my thoughts, but I'll be honest with you. I'm kind of unsure myself. I need your guys' support here. You'll be surprised how much the shift goes on in the brain with all these people to shift out of problem to problem solving. They get out of this anxiety, this adversity go, Oh, they're asking me for help. Thank God I can be a part of a team. It lowers their blood pressure. It lowers their primal brain from being in this problem solving. I'm going to be nasty at this meeting. <laughs> it goes into, wow. The leader's saying they're kind of struggling. They're looking for some solutions. I can be a part of that. They've got to feel like they're buying into what you're talking about too, by the way, David. They have to. And, and that's part of that relationship capital I'm talking about. They got to connect with you. Yeah. They got to see that you're vulnerable. They got to see that you're screwing it up too and that you're willing to be open about that. And then you're creating boundaries, right? You're creating this right. are my yes and no's, but you're willing to negotiate that. It. I can't tell you how many times when I let go of the reins a little bit, like I don't get what's going on. You guys, let's talk about it. There's some struggle here. It just absolutely, it's just like this connection that starts happening. And all of a sudden we get through all these problem solving ideas in one hour. I'm like, that was easy because I let go a little of the reins. I'm not saying that you're not having instruction. You have your yes, no's because you're leading a team. You've got to be willing to connect with them, see where they're struggling, admit that you're struggling because you probably are too. We as entrepreneurs struggle every day, you guys. That's that's what we do. We put out fires, right? We we renegotiate things. We're starting over with certain things. I've got to clean that slate up and maybe do another one. If people actually get that and see that in you as a leader, yeah. I guarantee you all these problems that you're talking about that I don't like that person. I don't like working with them. They go away. If you step into that space, they are willing to step in that space with you. Then all of a sudden, again, problem to problem solving and all this whininess and all this starts going away. And this adversity turns to this profound hour of power. I see it all the time. Relationship capital is everything, everything. Okay. So I'm going to ask you some avoidance and authority because I'm going to give you some specific examples. Avoidance, mean, avoidance meaning people will avoid things and they pop up and then you're like a year later and they're still talking about the same stuff that's going wrong in their business. And you're like, why didn't you squash that at the beginning? Well, because I felt like I didn't have the authority to, or I didn't know how to handle it. So now what happens is you have avoidance, festering, festering, festering. Your authority is diminished because you didn't exercise your authority at the beginning. And then we're seeing this more importantly in a wider scope of America where people are afraid to say anything that's definitive 
because we're not allowed to make a mistake or you say something that's misinterpreted and you're canceled. Right. Like, I love that meme where the guy goes, you go right to jail. You know, you do this, you go right to jail. You do this, you go right to jail. You go right into Facebook jail because now you can't say anything. So now we're like the movie coming to America when Eddie Murphy goes to marry the girl. And he's like, what do you like? I like whatever you like. What do you like to do? I like whatever you like to do. No, I don't want that. I don't want that. I don't want sheep. I want people who are bold. And guess what? I can get along with people who aren't exactly like me because my identity is my identity. I'm not for everybody. No, I wear a hat that says can't please them all. And that's just the way it is right now. But avoidance and authority, Jen. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Avoidance really comes from fear of rejection most of the time. Nine, you know, every day of the week and twice on Sunday. Okay. People don't want to be rejected, whether it be in front of a group, by you. We have a huge desire to be a part of a group. This is why we're willing to give up our identity and our morals to be part of a group. This is what we've seen this whole last year, by the way, everybody. Let that sink in. Okay. So when you keep avoiding, okay, that's the responsibility of the person. Like if you keep avoiding, realize you're also becoming a walking corpse, you're not staying in alignment, but you're also going to project that out into irritability, not giving to the team, all this different stuff. And it really comes from your deep rooted fear of being rejected. I'm telling you, there's different nuances to that, but everybody out there that's afraid to talk, talk to your boss, talk to your team. That's where it's coming from. You got to deal with that. But as the leader of the team, again, this goes back to you, you got to create space to have conversations about this. And by the way, this is also a little experience. I'm highly intuitive, David. So I can usually sense when a member is not vibing right, whether it be they're falling behind on a few things, I pull them aside. Like, okay, let's let's have a conversation, you know, about what's going on. It seems like some productivity is not happening. Let's just dialogue about it. I, I want us to have a conversation. I'm curious about what's going on. Verbiage is everything. And that gives them the opportunity to feel like they're safe. One thing a team member always wants so they don't avoid conversations is psychological safety in a workspace. If I can go to someone that I'm feeling, "Mm, I can tell something's not right here, whether it be productivity, they're maybe lashing out at a team member, pull them in, you know? And by the way, it's how you pull them in. It's verbiage. It's let's dialogue about this. It seems like there's some frustrations here. And by the way, the conversation may go that they need to leave. But at least you've created a a safe space or you just need to tweak things and move forward. You're doing yourself, you and yourself in that person a favor when you let them go early. But if you're willing to always be observing your environment, which it takes a little skill to read people, but then create psychological safety for them to be open to you. And you might avoid a year's long's worth of a pain in the rear and vice versa. If you do that, does that make sense? Yeah. You know, I guess I'm just, I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, I get a little worried about the, when you talk about the curiosity in the language, I know it's important, but when we talk about the safe spaces, I feel like that's a word that is used over and over again. And I wonder how much, like how much of that is taking away at our grit. And I I want to give you a chance to explain. I'm I'm, I'm going to challenge you here on this because uh, this might be me. I yeah. have a little bit of adversity when I hear a safe space because yeah. I know we need them, but then I'm always like, well, it, have we created too many safe spaces? Is, is that where we're at now? Like, what do you right. mean by safe space? Because I do believe in being direct. Yes. And, and just like I'm teaching my girls, let's get on your big girl pants, you know, right. let's, let's get on your big girl pants. And when they're, when they're being taught in, um, in Taekwondo or whether it's life right. lessons, like picking up poop in the backyard, you know, there's a little bit of things where dad wants to realize that you're a kid. Right. And, but I also want to make you tough because the world's a tough place. So I'm, tell me what a safe space is. I love that. I love that. So 
That's such a great question. And this is true in personal and professional. So I'm a very gritty person. You know, when people come work on my team, I, I'm very clear on what is expected. And that's the first thing that needs to happen as leaders. When you're bringing on a team member, I'm very big on the process of interviewing where it's three or four levels. Like we're really learning a lot about this person because I take it very seriously when I'm bringing someone into the energy of the current team. Okay. So just to be very clear, everybody, I I agree with you, David, you know, I, I don't want to say cutthroat, but I, I definitely, yes, it's definitely, no, it's very clear. And I leave room for questions when I'm interviewing someone to be on our team. So they're, it's very well known to them what is needed from them. And also in that same conversation, when questions come up, there's support for us to have dialogue about if you need extra support to understand this, okay? But once we're in that structure and the person seems to be struggling, I don't want them to lie to me, okay? So if I go up to them like, you know what, what's going on? You know, I'm, I'm tired of this, you're not being productive. You're being a little bit more in their face, which I'm a Scorpio. And I've been edgy that way. And what I found is people have a tendency to recoil a little bit and like lie or be a little deceptive of like, well, it's kind of this. And they end up leaving anyway versus like, well, this is the structure. So when I go and I say a crazy safe space, I'm like, listen, these were what our needs, desires from you were. (laughs) It's not happening. Okay. So there's structure around this. So it's putting something on their face that they know they're responsible for, but they're going, okay, but I want to hear from you what's going on? Is it personal? Is there something at work? How can we work through this or not? So when I say create a safe space, it's more not, you know, being like this rubbing, you know, like I'm here, you're here, pointing, pointing, but being in a space of this is what was anticipated. This is what's expected. This is what I thought we were clear on. You're struggling with that. Right. What's going on. Okay. So does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm thinking to myself, I have a couple of examples in my mind. I'm thinking to myself, what happens is I'm an emotional person. I live on emotion. I live on passion. And, I, and that's why I bring music and everything in because I'm an emotional person. But I realize that sometimes, especially in business or in marriage, in relationship, that facts are really what matters. Yes. And so like what we're seeing is, again, this big debate now in America. Well, this person hurt my feelings. Well, what are the facts? You know, like you can feel that way. I get it. Like you, I have no, no control over how you feel or how you interpret something, but as a manager or as someone who's a marriage counselor, let's talk facts Yeah, because facts are really how we're going to get to the bottom of something and find out if you're just being, you know, like my, my friend in our last podcast, master Mark was talking about bullying, yeah. very sensitive subject, very sensitive yeah. subject. And he said something like, Ooh, I don't know how people are going to react to this. Cause he said, a lot of people don't have the right idea about bullying. Bullying, by definition, has to be the same person doing the same thing to you over and over again. It isn't because it is because you're getting picked on once in a while. It goes part of it is girls are going to be teenage girls are going to be catty in school, and boys are going to be you know a little bit aggressive, and and that's how we grow up. And it's not bullying, right? And so when you tell somebody that again in our culture, it's like, oh my god, well that's not the that's not the, the thing to say. That's not politically correct. Bullying is serious. Yeah, it's serious. Yeah. But let's get to the facts. Is Johnny coming home because he's, he's just not, you know, speaking up for himself and stuff? Or are the same kids bullying him for some reason that is beyond his control? Right. So we bring that into the workspace. Are you getting fired or are you losing jobs because uh, you just bad luck? Or is it because something's wrong with you and you don't want to admit it and you're blaming it on everybody else? Are you divorced from your husband or wife because 
because they're abusive or are you taking things the wrong way? Yeah. And I think that's such a valid point. And something when I go into teams is what you just said, which is so important is that often it's not about the actual experience that's happening. It's the belief that you are putting on the experience. And that comes from old trauma, old beliefs, insecurity, need, you know, fear of rejection, yada, 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 what we've been talking about. So this is again, where I go into teams where they're, they're like, I'm struggling communicating with this person. And it's really getting the people to understand emotional intelligence wise, where is this coming from? What you said earlier about, I wish they would have taught this stuff earlier in my life. And I'm hoping that more integration of this is happening in schools because David it's needed that many times we get through adversity quicker we get through this whole fear of rejection quicker we get over this whole fear of avoidance by understanding it's what we're putting on the situation our belief that's making the problem I would say this often the problem's not the problem it's the way you're viewing the problem that's the problem yeah and often you're the common denominator and that's not a bad thing when you actually get this on a bad thing that you it's you you can then start to shift and change whatever it is that needs to be broken free from so you can create epicness in your life so at the end of the day when you have these conversations with your team it may be that they'll have to be you know, some other support beyond the team, because it's not, listen, not everybody, obviously it's an entrepreneur is a psychologist. If you know this person is struggling, they may need support and you might have to give your, you know, some card out for them so they can get support. Whether they should be on your team anymore is another conversation. And you kind of delve into that once you figure out what's going on. But the problem is not the problem. It's the way you're viewing the problem. And I agree with you. Environment belief system overlays like saran wrap on what's going on all the time when you can help a person see that even a person you're struggling with like oh how that's done it is a nuance it takes experience sometimes you need outside support that's why i go into teams to help with that they may be a great worker but maybe they're struggling with an area of their life that's causing the friction i agree with you though david it is this balance this is where experience comes in and this is where I like, love to go into teams. You know, you've got to have a deadline. You, you can't be holding on to someone that's maybe draining your team or, or not meeting your expectations. You know, I agree. There's grit that has to happen. They, they have to learn to rise during this. There's this balance of creating, a, I, I call it the psychological safety because it's not about pampering. It's about stating facts and then giving them an opportunity to actually be honest with you. Because if you don't create that and they feel threatened, they're going to shut up and either lie to you or not say something that's overly productive, then you're not going to win from a conversation that you wanted to have. So it is a balance of both, I would say. And it does take experience, but also if you want to get there faster, teach the kids with some of the stuff I'm talking about. I go into schools all the time and talk about emotional intelligence and looking at things differently in your beliefs, your behaviors, and how you can tweak that to be more effective in your current team environment. So that's a whole nother nuance, but I agree with you. It does take time to actually build this, this trust and this ability to make it a great team. Yeah. You know, and and look, I I don't want to be, feelings are important, you know, feelings are important, but your feelings perhaps in a situation don't trump the feelings of the rest of the company or the rest of the family. Um, And so when we talk about, uh, as we go into the last 10 minutes here and we talk about identity, um, I like to, I like the fact that you're an athlete um, because working with athletes over the years and interviewing athletes, uh, it's such a great training ground. Yeah. for real life. I mean, the, the, the lessons that we learned on the field, on the track and things like that are just, gosh, sports is fantastic. And I'm worried we're getting away from that. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I'm worried a little bit like you're not going to learn those same lessons on a video game because it's not real life. You'll learn them on the field. So um, what kind of lessons did you learn from being an athlete uh, uh, and running track and field um, that I deal with identity and, and what you like to talk about the most? A hundred percent. So, you know, the interesting, I'll start with the good stuff that came as an athlete because they're definitely not good stuff. And I know I've talked to, I don't know if you know, Anthony trucks, but I interviewed him. We were talking about the beauty of sports, but if it goes too far where it can go. So the beautiful things I got from sport that really helped hone my identity is understanding how to work with a team that worked well with me. Okay. Right. Honing my identity. Like I resonate with that person. I don't with that person because you're on a big team. You learn very quickly who you work well with and who you don't. And that's okay because you're on a team communication. You couldn't avoid we're working together either for good or bad. And if one person is is dying out here, there's a conversation that's happening, whether it be with you and the teammate or you and the coach or whatever is happening. So communication, I learned huge. Yes. Honestly, failing all the time. I mean, all the time, you know, everybody saw the glory, you know, I was a big 10 champion. I was an all American, but I failed a lot. I had bad times. I had things that came up that were just, I was constantly refining by fire. You know, what does failure really mean? I I learned that it was such a great opportunity for me to grow right adversity. So I would say those are probably my top three things is I got to really learn what it meant to be with a team that resonated with me, with my identity. Okay. I got an opportunity to be really resilient to failing and failing and failing over and over again. And I got really good at communication because you had to. And when there were problems, like I said, it affected our entire team. So I think I got an earlier opportunity to do that because you can't just do that in the classroom. You you just can't with a team and athletic team. You're constantly refined because you're in each other's face physically, mentally, emotionally all the time. It's very different than just being in a classroom and sitting like this and hearing a person talk to you on an athletic team. You're constantly communicating and moving and physically. So those are the top three things I would say I learned the most that I've brought in to my entrepreneur world, my personal world of relationships. Yeah, I saw a video the other day of uh, of Peyton Manning. Yeah, uh, and whoever one thinks is a darling, right? He's the right. he's the guy, the family guy who's on all the TV commercials, and he was mic'd up and he was yelling just yeah. f bomb after f bomb at a at a huge lineman, right. and he was it was a center back in the day, and these guys are considered best friends. Yeah. Um, but that's that's a great metaphor for what marriage is and what business is. We don't see that. Nobody sees Angelique and I the parts where we yell at each other, you know, we have, we have, we like to have godly communication in our marriage, but every once in a while, um, you know, the, the Holy spirit uh, could be a little bit stronger in us, but this Peyton Manning clip, I'm like, that's passion about sports. And in two seconds, they squashed it because somebody else came over on the team and said, Hey, come on. He's like, no, this is how we communicate. You know, we're not yelling at each other, but we need to bump this situation up here. So that's why sports is like cool. Yes, it is very cool. One thing that I would say that actually helped me hone in my identity more with sport is I found very quickly, you know, there is dopamine rushes to being an athlete. Okay. Let's just be honest. You guys, we get the accolades, we get the applause, we get this, 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 and it's what happens to a lot of athletes, men and women is you start connecting love and significance Mm -hmm. to performance And all of a sudden I was in fire flight, whether I was going on stage, are they going to like me? Whether I was going to make enough money that year, are they going to think less of me? Because I was connecting it to the very core need of all, what all of us human beings want, love, right? So that's going to put me in a fight or flight. I was constantly fight or flight every time I had to perform, 
right? So I started connecting that. And so what I see athletes have had a great opportunity to do is if they become really successful, they finally have a come to Jesus moment. They do. And they're like, what would I be if I didn't win this game? What would I be if I got hit by a car and never could play this sport again? What did I get from athleticism? But how can I disconnect success from actually my true identity? Going back to our very beginning of our conversation today, David, right? If I got everything taken away from me, what is left inside of me? And once I got to that point, because I was pushed to that limit in sports, and this is where I realized how much identity would take me. So that's the biggest thing I got from sport, but I had to go through fire of thinking that it was my significance and that's how I got love by performance. And this whole evolution that happened during my athletic era, that's when I finally figured out like identity is everything and realizing that all this is just extra foo-foo. I'm using my gifts to serve and yeah, I'm good at it, but it's not about the plots. It's not about I'm loved more because I win or lose. Yeah. And once I got that at the end of my career as an athlete, I would say every athlete would probably say this, you, you really are good at refining your identity and anchoring in it. And that's why we're good at adversity training now because we get ourselves without all the shizzy. <laughs> well, it's funny. I, I'm at my parents' house and my mom's got all the old pictures, you know, that, that come out when you're visiting your parents yeah. and I'm looking, I'm like, did I even own a shirt? Like here I am at a family gathering and it's a normal family gathering at dinner and everyone's clothed and I got no shirt on. I'm like, my identity was in the 19 inch arms and my identity was in, in an egocentric, very, very egocentric, even though I had a religion. I didn't have a relationship with Jesus yet. Yeah. So I had a religion. So all those moments spent in front of the mirror, admiring myself and being really egocentric, I can look, look back on now and kind of laugh. But when I look at it, I'm like, you know what? I mean, you're not going to have 19 inch arms all your life. You're not going to be on the podium all your life. And that's sometimes the, the bitter pill to swallow. You don't see a lot of success stories from ex-athletes because their identity becomes so wrapped up in that person, that Adonis, that 20-year-old Adonis yeah. who is unbeatable and unshakable. And then later on in life, injuries happen. Later yeah. on in life, adversity happens, yeah. financial adversity, um, marital and, adversity. And that's, and that's like, why I can't, I can't, yeah do push-ups and biceps to lift my way out of this. Right. And that's why athletes, I would say 50% of the time become these epic, you know, just successful people after sport is going back to exactly what we've been talking about. Adversity filtering through really quickly. And the way they do that is they learn from sport that they could separate success and accolades and material stuff from who they really are when you get that ripped away. And if you had that or willing to have that come to Jesus moment, I feel like I had that edge over other people because I got it ripped from me at a young age and I had to learn very quickly emotional intelligence. What am I, what, what belief am I putting on this about myself? And when I was able to do that as an athlete, it has been my sword for yeah. all the things in my life. And I'm so honored with that. Sport gave me so much, but when I had that tendency to the dark side of what it meant, it gave me this come to Jesus moment to say, who am I without sport? Who am I now, as I've done through more adversity, yeah. without money and finances? What, what am I? And I know who I am. So it doesn't matter. I truly can say that, David. It doesn't matter what comes my way. When I work with people and they actually get that and they really create this soul identity, yeah. Everything is easy. And I mean that very gently because I'm not saying life's easy. Sure. What I mean is you just filter through because you get it's you and the creator. Yeah. One of the dance. 
Everything yeah. is working for you. He wants you to serve in the best way you can to create impact before you die. And we're in a different space. Oh. So that's what adversity means to me. That's what success means to me is really getting into your identity. Why you are so cool, David, why I am so cool is because of what's uniquely in me. That's different than you. That's different than the next person that I'm supposed to use this in this world and co-create with God on. And when yeah. I get that, everything else is icing on the cake, good or bad. It's just icing on the cake. It's just me more evolving into who I'm supposed to be as a lover of Christ. <laughs> I, love it. I love it. And that's, that's a, that's a great spot. That's a mic drop spot. I know who I am being more of who I'm supposed to be as a lover of Christ and, and a believer. And, and that is where we're going to leave you guys. But before we do, Jen, where can they find you? What do you love to train on? Uh, if someone wants to learn more, where can they get a hold of you? Yeah, absolutely. I'm the most active on Instagram and LinkedIn, and that's Jennifer Watson Leadership. I answer all my DMs, you guys, my own DMs. So if you have any questions about this podcast, please, please reach out to me. I work with a lot of high performers, ambitious, conscious, spiritually conscious believers that really want to go to the next level, but are really blocked from some beliefs, behaviors, identity crisis stuff that are going on that's really happened even more this year. And I do one-on-one coaching. I do team coaching for their entrepreneurs and their team. So it depends on what your needs are, but I have a free discovery call right on my, my um, Instagram. So if it's something you want to dialogue more about with me, I'd love to see how I might be able to support you. Other than that, if you just have questions on this awesome podcast, I would love to support you there as well. Awesome. Well, thank you, Jen. Um, you know, I, sorry, we are on the road and we have a crying baby and we've tried, you know, every once in a while, look, we are, uh, we are trying to navigate this journey as best as we can. And Angelique just was with the crying baby today. So I know she would want to be here. Uh, she sends her love, but uh, fantastic information, fantastic content. You know, I always enjoy a conversation with you and we will see you soon. And God bless you. Thank you. Thank you.